Stone. Morning, everybody. My name is Brad Kindle. I'm lead pastor here. We are not going to be doing Q&A today because we have the wonderful privilege of participating in the sacrament of baptism uh, with one of our own. We are in a series, a month-long plus, month-plus series, uh, called So What?, which is kind of a strange for a sermon series uh, title, but let me explain it just in case you're new to us. Um, years ago, I was on a plane trip to Denver. I was with uh, another pastor friend, and he was in the aisle seat. I was in the middle seat. The woman sitting next to us uh, was a businesswoman, it looked like, and um, as we sat down, she said, why are you heading to Denver? We said, we're going to a conference. She said, oh, what do you do for a living? And we both went, uh, we're uh, pastors. And she's like, oh. And she didn't put on her headphones or open her book. She began to pepper me, because I was in the middle seat, with questions uh, about uh, what kind of pastors were we? What religion were we? Uh, what denomination? Uh, what did we believe? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we had this wonderful, very robust three-hour conversation about the good news of Christianity. And her favorite question for me, which is why I entitled this series, So What? Her favorite question, favorite question for me was, so what? So I would talk about what I thought was really good news. And she'd say, okay, well, so what? Jesus died for me, so what? Uh, I'm going to live forever, so what? Et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, uh, that's why we call this uh, the So What Sermon Series. And uh, we're going to wrestle with this question, this main question, what is the so what of the gospel? And my hope is that we will, uh, we will get clear enough so that you will be able to articulate this with someone when you sit down in a seat on a trip to Denver or you're on the bus or in the elevator with a family member, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Before we go forward, let's pray. And you know what I'd love uh, to do because of the nature of what we're talking about? I'd love to have some people uh, really praying into this today. And so could I get some hands who would pray for me that I'd be articulate and clear? And then uh, thank you. Yeah, so thank you for doing that. As we move through this, just be praying for all of us here together as we encounter God's word. I'll pray for uh, uh, the next steps forward. God, we are acknowledging uh, you are here. You were here before we even got here. <laughs> you are everywhere. Lord, you are present right now through the power of your spirit. Uh, your Holy Spirit is longing to shepherd us closer to the heart of Christ, we ask God to open our eyes, any blind spots we have when it comes to truth, we pray you would take those blind spots away. Anything that we struggle hearing, we pray you would give us the gift of hearing uh, your loving truth, and we pray, holy God, that you would use this time, your word, your Holy Spirit, so that we are conformed more to the likeness of Christ, loving you and loving people better than before. In your name we pray, amen. So, let's do some review. What does the word gospel mean? Well, the word gospel means good news or good message. First week, I tried to keep it really, really simple. Jesus is the gospel. 
So if you're in an elevator and the person says, uh, listen, I'm going to give you five seconds. Tell me what the gospel is. Then you just simply say, Jesus is the gospel. And if they then say, okay, I'll give you five more seconds, what does that mean? <laughs> All you have to do is remember, what does the name of Jesus mean? The name Jesus means God saves, okay? So if they want to go the next step, you can say, well, God saves is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. God saves is the good news. God rescues is the good news. Okay, pastor, so what? <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to uh, know what a tree is, what do I do? I say, well, that, that's a tree. And, and that's simple, right? But we know that trees are simple and trees are complex. That's a tree, but I want to know more about a tree. Okay, well, let's talk about branches and leaves and a tree trunk and bark and roots and soil, etc. We can do that with the gospel, right? The gospel is simple, but it's also beautifully complex and wonderfully rich is maybe a better way to say it. Today, what we're going to do as we head into the rest of, uh, not the rest, but a, a good chunk more of 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to continue to talk about the richness of the complexity of the gospel, wrestling with this question, um, to what extent does God save? Or maybe a better way of putting it, uh, why is the gospel good news of life forever? The gospel is good news of life forever. How, how does that come about? What's that all about? Grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 25. Uh, and when you get there, just keep your finger there. That way you kind of know where we're at. I had said in the, um, the first Sunday of this series that if, if you really want a, a succinct way, biblically, of showing another person what the gospel is, you just go to 1 Corinthians 15. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 15, the first seven verses, Paul makes it really, really clear. And then he goes on, and we're, we're going a little richer, a little deeper here, to the rest of the chapter and talking about resurrection. So if you would, please stand, and I'm going to read this for us. We stand because uh, we believe this is the very Word of God, and it's a living Word. Verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. Of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Next verse, actually. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You may be seated. Okay. Well, all right. So what? <laughs> well, before we get to the good news, let's talk about some bad news. The implication of good news is there might be some bad news. Uh, well, the bad news is death is coming. And if you're a note-taker, follow along with me in your notes. It'll help you kind of remember what's going on here. The good news is, uh, the bad news is death is coming. I, I don't know if you know this, but they've done a lot of studies over the years, and it's become very clear one out of every one of us will actually die. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to be morbid, uh, but the truth is you are 
mortal, <laughs> as am I. Death is going to overtake us, and, and death isn't really like a friend. Death's kind of a bully, you know, a bully that has a certain amount of power. As we move through the high school hall of life, there is death, and it eventually is going to get us and shove us into a locker and say, you are now dead. Now, why? Why does this happen? Well, what did we, do to, what did we ever do to deserve to die? Well, Paul, he puts it this way. He says, for as in Adam, all die. Okay, Adam. Who's Adam? Who's Adam? Well, we're talking Genesis, Adam. We're talking first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And um, if, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't believe in Adam and Eve, that's fine. We all acknowledge, though, whether you're an atheist or not, we all acknowledge there at one point was an Adam, was a first man and a first woman. That happened at some point. Biblically speaking, we are all inheritors of certain things from the original man and the original woman, the Adam and Eve in the Scriptures. Uh, we, for example, biblically speaking, we inherit uh, our image-bearing nature. So they were image bearers of the living God. We are image bearers of the living God because we are uh, their descendants. Uh, they also received a holy vocation. They were to be stewards of all God had created. And we too have received that holy uh, vocation. We're not very good at it actually, but we've received that holy vocation. We are to be uh, God's gardeners uh, for His creation. The, another thing that we've inherited and I could go on and on and on, but my point and Paul's point here is we've inherited Adam's sinful nature, whereas in Adam all die. Ever since Adam, humans have been what Paul calls, we have been in Adam, meaning we are the offspring of Adam's sinful nature. This is why King David lamented in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And we can ask, how can an infant sin in the womb? But that's not what he's saying. He, his point is all humans are descendants of Adam, thus all of us share in that sinful DNA. Thus, Hear me, you and I are sinners not because we sin, rather we sin because we are sinners. I'll say it again. You and I are sinners not because we sin, rather we, are, we sin because we are sinners. Uh, Jill and I have a brand new uh, granddaughter, she's four weeks old, Ellie. Uh, Ellie has not done a lot of sinful action. <laughs> And so you think, well, how can, how can Ellie be sinful? Well, she's an Adam, just like all of us. She has inherited that sinful nature. So she will sin because of that inherent, inherent sinful nature, which is a problem. So the bad news is clear. In Adam, we all die. That's obvious. Okay, what's the so what of that? Well, according to the Bible, there is some good news to that bad news. The good news is death will be destroyed. Now, for most of us who hang out, hang out in the church, this is not new news, 
right? If you hang out in the church long enough, you will hear the good news, death has been defeated. Absolutely. Paul, Paul's point here, though, is not simply that death has been defeated. Paul's good news here is rather that death is going to be destroyed. Destroyed. I mean, think about that. Just ponder that for a moment. The last enemy, Paul says, the last enemy destroyed is death. The big bully. Now, think of all the enemies that plague humanity. Why, why do we call them our enemies? Because they scare us to death. <laughs> Meaning, they want to kill us. Many of them do kill us. But imagine for a moment that terrorism is not just defeated. Imagine terrorism destroyed forever. We have people in our congregation who have cancer. Imagine cancer not just defeated. Imagine cancer destroyed forever. Coronavirus, not just defeated, destroyed, so you never, ever have to see that bully ever again in the hall, ever. That's pretty good news. Paul then leads us up into a deeper part of this truth. In the first summit of where he's heading, he's, he wants us to see all this in light of two different atoms, okay? So hang with me here. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, that's the first Adam that we've been talking about, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. That is Jesus. Paul thinks of him as a second Adam, the firstborn of God's new creation. Biblically speaking, Paul's declaring we have two spiritual families in the world. The first family, the family of the first Adam, and the family of the second Adam, Jesus. All those in Adam are offspring of Adam's sinful nature, are the inheritors of Adam's death. To be in the first family, to be in Adam, is to share all that Adam did and was, and that's bad news. But the gospel declares those who are in Christ, and if you read the Bible, you hear this over and over again, in Christ, those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, all those in the second Adam inherit the second Adam's righteous nature, sinless nature, inherit the second Adam's conquering of death. To be in Christ is to share all that Christ did and was and will forever be. So thus, when you put your faith in Christ, you are permanently removed from the first Adam's family, and you are put into the family of Christ forever, placed eternally into the body of Christ is another way Paul puts it. And that's why the Bible speaks of the importance, the necessity of being born again from this family into this family, into Christ's family. That's why Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. 
the old has gone, the new has come. It's there forever. So the good news of the gospel declares all those in Christ, like Jesus, have defeated death, and all those in Christ will live as benefactors of death's forever destruction. So, now let's just fine-tune things a little bit here, uh, and Paul does so. In Christ, question, does, does that mean all those in Christ are the only ones resurrected? This is kind of fascinating what Paul does. He gets, he gets clear here on, on who's resurrected. No, good news, all will be made alive. And this is an important point, for too often we assume only those who've put their faith in Christ are resurrected. This is not the case. Just as Adam brought death to everyone, so Jesus will bring life to everyone. Hang with me. Verse 22, read this with me. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What does the word all mean there? It means all. <laughs> now, before you send me an email calling me a universalist, I'm simply stating what the text says. Now, hear me. The issue is not whether every person will be raised. The issue is what will happen after we've been raised. All right? Uh, John 5, 28 and 29, just listen to it. John says, uh, Jesus, for time is coming when all who, were, who, all who are in their graves will hear his voice, the voice of Jesus, and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So, the final resurrection is going to result in a final judgment. And those who are in Christ will then received, receive all that Christ received. Those, uh, for, for we are no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. But those who have rejected Christ are still in Adam and still live living under the consequences of sin. And so you can either say, I'm going to try to white-knuckle this, and hopefully I'm good enough that God will never condemn me, or you can live with the reality, the biblical truth, that there is nothing I could ever do to save me, that we are all sinners, we're all in Adam, and all of us need to be born again and spiritually and physically one day be revived and resurrected, and that is only going to happen in Christ. And Paul uses some very helpful organic uh, language here to talk about kind of how this comes about. Uh, think about spring. You know, when uh, we have this tree right outside uh, the, the area where, the, the kitchen area where we eat breakfast, and, you know, we just kind of live, um, you know, in anticipation. April, it's like, come on, just one little bud, please. <laughs> and eventually, you know, you see on those branches, you know, one little bud, you're like, oh, it's coming, right? Yeah. It, Paul uses the language of first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of all that is to come. He says, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So the idea is that Jesus' resurrection is like the first fruits. It's the first indication of all 
that is to come. So all will be resurrected, but what happens in that resurrection is dependent upon which Adam we're living in. Are we going to live in the first Adam's family? Are we going to put our faith in Jesus and be in the second Adam's family? The choice is up to us. Now, so what? Let's review a little bit, okay? What's the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. What does that even mean? Well, what's Jesus' name mean? It means God saves. So God saves is the good news. Another way you could say it is God rescues is the good news. That, that's good. You know, I think we live in a world that needs to be rescued. Um, if you want to go deeper, well, we could say uh, Jesus died, then he rose again, then he ascended, defeating death, and will one day destroy death so that all of us may live as benefactors of what he has done, may live forever in the second Adam, in Christ, receiving all that Christ has received. Co-inheritors is another way the Bible puts it, of all that Christ has received. That's pretty good news. Of course, there is bad news, for in Adam all die. But there's great news, amazing news. In Christ, all live. Paul sums it up just a few verses later with this simple statement. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's really good news when every one of us is going to die. That being the case, what is God calling you to do, change, or pray about? Some people struggle with this idea that uh, there's only one way. That's essentially one of the things I've just said. Um, there, there's no amount of white-knuckling it that is going to make us good enough for an eternal life. You have to put your faith in Jesus. Okay, that, That's pretty much what I've been saying. A lot of people struggle with that. You know, that we, we, we really want there to be multiple ways. Let me ask you this. How do you feel about the smallpox vaccination? <laughs> smallpox has, was a, a bully for a long time. But now, you can receive one shot, and you can be saved and rescued from smallpox. We can either be all upset that there aren't a bunch of ways to eternal life, or we can praise God. There is one way, a way. It's open to everyone. And what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to give you an opportunity. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now to do so. So if you would, please bow your heads. The way we begin our faith in Christ is we simply start by saying, yes, Jesus. Uh, it's like Jesus is, is reaching out a hand to each of us saying, just grab the hand, come with me. I'll lead you through death into eternal life. Just reach out and take the hand. It's so simple. So the way so many of us have done it is we, we started with a prayer. And I'm going to say 
like four little lines of a prayer. You just repeat that back to God. If this is if you've never said this prayer before. The prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I believe you lived, died, and rose again to save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to trust you now and forevermore. Amen. It's very simple. When, when we make that step of faith, the Holy Spirit of God, we, we are born anew. Uh, and a great demonstration of that is what we're going to be participating in right now. It's called baptism. And we're going to go a little bit deeper here, okay? So hang tight. Let's talk about baptism. Where is the gospel in baptism? So what have I said thus far? What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. Yeah, so the gospel is Jesus. All right. So where's Jesus in baptism right now? Well, uh, well we'll start here. Let's go uh, with uh, everywhere. <laughs> so the, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Christ is everywhere, omnipresent. There is nowhere the Holy Spirit is not. Okay, so every atom, every molecule is uh, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we could even say, uh, that the Bible says that uh, it is Jesus that upholds everything with the word of his power. Okay, so Jesus is everywhere through the Holy Spirit. We could also say, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, have received the Holy Spirit of Christ. And so, Jesus is, then Jesus is. I'm going to invite the kids in because they're a wonderful demonstration. Come on in, gang. I love this. Hey, come on in, gang, and, and, and uh, don't run, but walk wonderfully toward your, your parents. You know, they're a great demonstration right now of what it, what it looks like to come into the kingdom. You know, just, just walk. Walk into the open arms of God. We wanted the kids to be able to see uh, and participate in, in the family of God and baptism this morning. So Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is in the church, and Jesus is in the person being baptized. And right now, I'm going to invite uh, the band, I'm going to invite uh, Char and Pastor, uh, Pastor Char and Nick, and I'm going to invite Andrew Wittenberg on up. Andrew, you can, why don't you, actually, Andrew, why don't you hop on in? D don't, don't baptize him yet, but uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll come over here by Ryan. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll come over here. So, uh, let's encounter God's Word 
and, and we'll learn a little bit more about baptism. Um, so go ahead and read this with me, shall, shall we? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now there's a lot there, but one of the things I want you to see is this idea of being in Christ. So being in Christ, I die with Jesus. Being in Christ, I am raised with Jesus. As Christ was baptized, I am baptized, all right? And so, uh, and the wonderful thing about baptism is it is a, it's like telling a story without words, okay? And so what story are we going to tell as uh, Andrew goes down into the water? Well, we're going to tell the story of first a death. Um, in baptism, there's a death. When I go into the water, when Matt, uh, Andrew goes into the water, uh, there is a dying to the old self. And uh, there is a dying to the sinful self. And, and Andrew is declaring that he's under new management, so to speak. He is declaring that his life is going in a completely different direction because now he is in Christ. There's no, I, uh, Galatians 2.20 says, uh, for I have been crucified with Christ. So Andrew in baptism is participating in Christ's death. But there's also a burial. So, uh, you know, what do you do with something that's dead? You bury it, Right? Uh, you, you, you bury it, and, and, and baptism is kind of a burial. It's kind of burying uh, Andrew's sins and the old self of Andrew at sea, so to speak. All Andrew's sins, past, present, and future, per- permanently buried uh, in Christ. And then, of course, in baptism, you're going to see as he's, he's down, we're not going to keep him down too long. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, he's going to come up, and there's a, there's a resurrection story that's being told as well. This new life, uh, the New Living Translation of the passage we looked at earlier says this, what this means is that, the, that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Someone asked me earlier, they, they talked, or saying, you know, I still feel like there's so much of the old life in me still. And that's, you know, the Bible's very honest uh, about that. As we move through life, it's like before there was very little Christ and only my sinful self. But when w- the Holy Spirit fills us and we are born again, it's like that sinful self begins to diminish and the Christ-like self begins to emerge. That process is called sanctification. There's nothing Andrew can do to make that happen. That is something that the Holy Spirit does. So over time, the Holy Spirit is going to sanctify him. Is going to make him more and more holy. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask you some questions. You're not cold, are you? Good. You're very warm. Good. Nice. All right. Uh, Andrew, if, if you would, boldly for the congregation, I'm going to ask you some questions, uh, and you just simply respond by I do. There will be a couple I wills here. Uh, Andrew, do you now desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Proclaiming this covenant, proclaiming this oath, this promise with Jesus Christ, do you renounce all the powers of evil and declare your opposition to a way of life in contradiction to the gospel? Do you repent of your sins, confessing Christ as Savior and Lord, and living as His faithful disciple? 
Will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? If so, say, I will. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If so, say, I will. will. Congregation, family of God, uh, you, you have a question as well. People of God, will you promise to uphold and support Andrew in his life in Christ? If so, say, with God's help, we will. All right, very good. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and, and this is an interesting prayer because I'm going to pray uh, over the water, all right? And one of the things that happens in baptism is we have to acknowledge there's something mysterious happening. It's bigger than we have words for, but we know because of the way the Scriptures talk about baptism that the Holy Spirit is active in doing something in Andrew and in the life of the family of God as this happens. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through His death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank You, Lord, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in His death. By it, we share in His resurrection. Through it, we are renewed by the Holy Spirit. There, in joyful obedience to Your Son, we bring into His fellowship those who come to Him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, sanctify This water we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that this child of yours may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Now, as they take Andrew down and as he comes up, your cue is when he's up out of the water, you stand to your feet if you're able and you cheer more than if the Vikings ever won the Super Bowl, all right? And then, and then, and this, this is real and true, and that will never be real or true, all right? Uh, so, so stand boldly, and we will worship God in response.